Law and Liberty. This is a Reconstructionist radio production. Please visit calcedon.edu to download this book or purchase a physical copy. Law and Liberty. Russus J. Rushdoony. Copyright 1984 and 2009. Alicito, California. Chapter 11. Law and Academic Freedom. One of the growing problems of our day is academic freedom. It is a subject which tends to breed intense feelings on both sides. The subject itself has ceased to be academic. It has become an issue of major social concern. Let us examine, first of all, the argument of those who call themselves advocates of academic freedom. A good case in point is Emory University, a Methodist school where Professor Thomas J.J. Altizer teaches... Altizer, whose position is basically Buddhist, is a leader of the, quote, God is dead movement, end quote, and this is recognised by the College of Bishops, southeastern jurisdiction of the Methodist Church. Of Altizer's arguments, the bishop said, quote, Such declarations are pure fantasy, unsupported by any responsible scientific knowledge, and contradicted by the long experience of man on the earth, and by the unnumbered millions who in the present know the Almighty as the living God, end quote. In passing, we can note that the bishops do not answer Altizer with the word of God, but rather with the experience of man. However, they do oppose Altizer. And they do say, quote, We are amazed that a professor of the Bible and religion in a church college should say, end quote, such things. The bishops also make clear that Altizer does not speak for the Methodist Church or for Emory University. Quote, Professor Altizer speaks for himself only. End quote. The bishops reminded Altizer that quote, freedom requires responsibility. End quote. But they made clear that quote, we are committed to the principle of academic freedom. A university presupposes freedom in the search for truth on the part of those associated with it. End quote. The bishops therefore urged full support of the university and expressed their pride in it. At the same time, the Development Office of Emory University issued a statement by William R. Cannon, Dean of the Chandler School of Theology, Emory University. Quote, God is not dead at Emory, end quote. Cannon, after making clear that Altizer teaches in Emory College, not in the School of Theology, affirms academic freedom, quote, When a person is brought to a faculty, he is given the opportunity to think freely and is encouraged, both in the laboratory and in the study, to engage in creative scholarship that will lead to new discoveries and open new frontiers of learning. To be sure, we run risks in this, but the gains far outweigh the risks. End quote. The Emory Board of Trustees Chairman, Henry L. Bowden, in a statement released to the press, November 30th, 1965, affirmed the allegiance of Emory, quote, to the principles of academic freedom as enumerated by the American Association of University Professors. End quote. A similar issue cropped up in Berkeley, California, where the Berkeley Baptist Divinity School of the American Baptist Convention is located. Because of the liberalism of the faculty, many churches have withdrawn support. The president of the school saw this as denial of academic freedom and, accordingly, to the Oakland Tribune for Sunday, December 4th, 1966, quote, Dr. Arnott lashed out at those whose doctrinal beliefs do not allow for variance of opinion, end quote, now, certain presuppositions clearly appear from these various statements. 
First, academic freedom means that a teacher has the right to teach and write without any interference, even if his work is hostile to and subversive of the basic purpose of the school. Second, it is a merit when any school permits, tolerates and encourages such teaching. Third, those who refuse to support teaching which is subversive of their faith are guilty of suppressing opinions which are and are regarded as hostile to liberty. Fourth, the basic function of any school is to encourage new ideas rather than propagate older ones. Lest anyone assume that our description is unfair, let us note what the Columbia Encyclopedia has to say about, quote, academic freedom, end quote. Quote, Academic freedom, right of scholars to pursue their research, to teach and to publish, without control or restraint from the institutions which employ them. This is a civil right that is enjoyed, at least in statute, by the citizens of democratic countries. In the case of scholars whose occupation is involved with that right, the concept of academic freedom generally includes the property right of tenure of office. An essential to the acceptance of the concept is the notion that truth is best discovered through the open investigation of all data. A less clearly developed corollary of academic freedom is the obligation of all those who enjoy it to pursue the line of open and thorough inquiry, regardless of personal considerations. Historically, academic freedom developed in the period of the Enlightenment. End quote. With this last sentence alone, we can agree. This idea is a product of the Enlightenment and its rationalism, its belief in the godlike powers of the philosopher kings. Like God, these thinkers assume they are objective and, like God, beyond any restraint by man. This is the essence of the modern doctrine of academic freedom. It insists implicitly that the scholars are the new gods of creation and are therefore beyond any control, any supervision or any restraint. Our duty is to support them no matter what they do to us. Let us examine this idea of academic freedom a little more closely. In actuality, it is a totalitarian doctrine which is hostile to real academic freedom. Academic freedom means, if taken literally, freedom of the academy, that is, freedom of the school. It means, or should mean, that anyone has the freedom to establish a school, to propagate his ideas, and to maintain that school without interference, as long as it does not violate the criminal and moral laws of society. If the idea of academic freedom stated by Columbia Encyclopedia, the American Association of University Professors, and others were applied to religious freedom, and it is being applied, the result would be anarchy. It would mean that in every church, every kind of religious idea would have equal rights. This would make it impossible to maintain the integrity of any church. The same is true of colleges and universities. Let us assume that we, as a group of persons with a particular kind of religious faith, holding to a system of Christian theology, to a particular school of economics, a type of philosophy, and a very definite concept of education, established a college. The modern doctrine of academic freedom would deny us the right to have our own kind of school. It would insist that we could have no standard of faith and character which we could require of all faculty members. The modern doctrine of academic freedom would rob us of the right of controlling our own school because it would demand the total independence of all faculty members to be, quote, without control or restraint, end quote. We would be obliged to support the school without any right of control or else we would be called intolerant 
fascistic, and many like names for withdrawing our support. The practical result of this doctrine of academic freedom is the destruction of freedom. It denies us the right to establish schools to propagate, develop, and establish a particular faith and philosophy. This concept of academic freedom is a superb totalitarian doctrine and an instrument for the destruction of any and every educational institution. No institution can be free to maintain its faith and philosophy when the total right of subversion is insisted on by the doctrine of so-called academic freedom. All the rights, all the power are placed in the hands of subversives by this idea of academic freedom. The right to hold a particular faith and philosophy and to maintain a college in loyalty to that position is specifically denied. The doctrine is called academic freedom, but it is actually academic totalitarianism. That doctrine insists that freedom belongs only to that which is new and revolutionary, and it denies freedom to that which insists on loyalty to a given faith and philosophy. It is a viciously intolerant doctrine, which, by a semantic trick, calls itself freedom when it is actually slavery. No faith can exist if total right is given to its subversion, and the faith is denied the right to defend itself. The faith attacked by this so-called academic freedom doctrine is Christianity and its concept of absolute truth. The faith affirmed by this doctrine is the faith, as Columbia Encyclopedia indicated, of the Enlightenment, of humanism. Now, humanism has proved itself to be one of history's most savage and intolerant faiths. The history of humanism is one of terror, slavery and persecution, but in its rewriting of history, it accuses all others of these things. From the French Revolution to the present, this humanistic totalitarianism has been spreading its infection in all the world. The doctrine of academic freedom is one aspect of this totalitarian humanism. It is a doctrine advocating freedom for humanism only. It offers only destruction to all others, plus the requirement of continuing to support institutions which have betrayed the supporters. Truly free education means that colleges must have the freedom to be themselves, to establish colleges based on a particular philosophy, and to maintain that position against subversion. Atheistic colleges do not allow Orthodox Christianity to be taught by their professors, but they call it a violation of academic freedom if a professor in a Christian college is not allowed to teach atheism. Call this by its right name. It is not a doctrine of freedom, but of subversion and totalitarianism. True faith involves the freedom for a college to be true to its faith. But the champions of this so-called academic freedom are not interested in freedom. They are for slavery, because they themselves are slaves, and their doctrine is one of academic enslavement. Beware of men who defend it. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows 
or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.